My Spanish learning experience was very trial by fire. So I moved to Colombia in mid-July of, of 2014. So I've been here for six years. And I didn't, like, I got the job offer like a month before I so and and uh, at that time I had never taken a formal Spanish class. I didn't know any Spanish whatsoever. So a month before coming to Colombia, I downloaded Duolingo and just smashed Duolingo for thirty days. Uh, and when I arrived in Colombia, I probably only knew like a hundred words, maybe a hundred and fifty words. And there's not a whole lot you can do with one hundred and fifty words of vocabulary. Um, so, uh, yeah, I arrived with, with next to nothing, but my progress was really fast uh, those first two years um, because I was living it every day. I was hearing Spanish. I had to use Spanish uh, anytime I left my house. And, uh, yeah, when you're a beginner, everything is new. So every day you're just adding like 10 or 20 words to your vocabulary. You're learning, you know, the tenses. Your pragmatics are constantly being you're doing the same things over and over again every day. So you just pick up on these phrases that you're supposed to say when you walk into a restaurant or when you hop on the bus or when you uh, greet people at the university. Um, so I would say years one and two, lots of progress, fast progress, uh, probably reached an intermediate stage uh, of Spanish at the end of year two, I would say. Um, Year two through four, also like pretty, um, pretty good progress. Not as fast as uh, the beginning, but definitely making, uh, making some some progress and some steps. Uh, year two through four, yeah, that was kind of like my my intermediate stage, um, getting more comfortable with longer conversations. You know, I could I could tell you what I did during the day. I could tell you what my work involves. Um, I could tell you looks like what I have in my apartment, uh, stuff like that, you know, ha have some basic conversations um, with people and not strain the conversation too much. Mm. Um, and then probably these last two years have been the most difficult uh, year, year five and year six. Um, haven't seen, I, I mean, I, I'm still making progress, but it's just, it's, it's really slow. Cause now like I'm, I'm in that kind of low advanced stage where it's all about building and expanding your vocabulary, but not the vocabulary, not the common vocabulary, because that's already there. Like all, all the stuff that you use every day, that's there and it's automatic now and you don't even have to think about it. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the weird, um, uh, very infrequent vocabulary, you know, that you only use in very select uh, situations. Um, uh, or, or like topics that you just don't really talk about very much. Like, um, I don't know, like if you're talking about like outer space or if you're talking about like heart surgery or something, you know, just like things you, yeah. you, you never talk about. And like, yeah, those are still some of the, the conversations that I have a little bit of difficulty in because I just, I don't have that infrequent vocabulary, but, um, mm -hmm. but I'm working at it, you know, still building it. I'm reading books in Spanish, uh, you know, watching some, uh, some TV shows and, uh, you know, slowly, uh, trying to, trying to push myself into those, 
those higher tiers of, of uh, vocabulary. Uh, but yeah, now, I mean, like it's, I, you know, I can have conversations with people and it, it, it doesn't really strain me. It doesn't really strain them. Um, and it's, it's, it's cultural too, at that advanced level, you know, someone will say something and you're like, what's that? And you're like, oh, it's a song by Bobby Cruz. And you're like, who's Bobby Cruz? And you're like, oh, okay. There's all yeah. this, this stuff to learn about, you know, it's a lot more, yeah, like you said, more than the basic language. It's Definitely. so cultural. Um, yes. Each place yeah. is different. Yeah. And I, I found that out by when, when I started traveling around Latin America, um, Colombia was my first country in Latin America. I, I had never been to Latin America before moving down here. Um, and when I started traveling around the region, uh, I, I noticed that, yeah, the Spanish is, is different. And, and in some places it, it gets really different from Colombian Spanish and uh, even like regional Colombian Spanish, mm -hmm. uh, regional dialects. Like uh, there's, there's a lot of difference. Like I, I remember, here, here's one story. Like I remember uh, one time going to Mexico. This was like, uh, I think I'd been living in Colombia for like two years already. Went to Mexico for the first time. I'm at this hostel. Uh, I get to my dorm room and in the dorm room and there's no, there's no air conditioning and there's no fan. So I went down to reception to ask for a fan, uh, see if they could lend me one. And I used the word, the, the only word that I knew at the time, which was abanico, um, which is what everyone calls it in, in Colombia. Colombia. Yeah. And the, and the girl at reception at this hostel in Mexico just looks at me like, what? And I was like, yeah, like an abanico. Like, it's really hot in my room. I, I need an abanico. And then after I said it like three times, she kind of pieced it together. And she was like, oh, you mean ventilador? And I'm like, uh, I guess. And she goes, you know, into the closet and like pulls out a fan. And I'm like, okay, yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that was a moment for me, you know, that I'll never forget where you, you realize uh, just because it's the word that everyone uses in the in your city and in your region doesn't mean universal like in the in the entire spanish-speaking population and uh and i yeah, think that's an interesting word fan specifically is like different in each country i can't remember yeah. all of them but yeah i know abanico but it's different and each country has a different word for fan i believe it's crazy yeah 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 it's crazy and and you you have to you know, if you, if you really want to be uh, a fluent, advanced speaker, you, you have to learn those those nuances. And, and, and you will. They, they'll, they'll come to you. Over you time. have to travel. It's almost like if you want to get more and more advanced, you have to go live more and more. You have to yeah. like, go out and get in places. Yeah, for but sure. If, I don't mean to be super, like, nitpicky, but going back to that first month, you said you jumped into Duolingo. So did you practice every day on Duolingo for just that month? I know it's going back to the beginning, but what did that practice look like? Oh yeah, every day. I was uh, just self, yeah, yeah, self learner. I'm gonna self learning, lingo, like trying to score those little diamonds or whatever they, really? it whatever worked they on have you. on the platform. Got the, the dopamine. Yeah, you get the streaks. Yeah, exactly. You get the dopamine hit like when you, when you have like a streak of like seven days and uh, you know, you're burning through those little mini lessons and learning vocabulary. Uh, yeah, I, I would, you know, Duolingo and like little language learning apps like that, I would say they're fine for learning the basics of vocabulary and grammar. But uh, 
but you're not going to learn a language just through those apps. Uh, you need, you need input. You need, uh, you need like a real context. Um, cause all that stuff, like it's all decontextualized, you know, it's all yeah. like sentence, it's all sentence level and like word level stuff. You know, it's like, uh, he dries his towels, uh, in the laundry room, you know, like, yeah. and you okay, have to hit, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And you have to, is that you have to hit the button like laundry detergent, laundry detergent, bling, bling, bling. You yeah. know, that's yeah, different, exactly. than watch, well, different than watching Netflix or something. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or like, you know, meeting, uh, meeting your landlord for the first time, like all of a sudden there's just tons of Spanish coming at you and you're like, wow, this is really different from, uh, mm. he dries his towels in the laundry room, you know, like. How, how many hours would you dedicate to Duolingo if you were to do it again? So you did a couple hours a day for a month. Are, are we talking like 20 hours of Duolingo study? I probably, I probably did like an hour a day on average. So, okay, so like I guess, uh, yeah, like 30 hours. I probably had like 30 hours uh, okay. built up, maybe more. And um, what, what would you add to that now? to improve the, like, how would you change that now if you were to do it again? Oh man. Um, what would you add? Maybe, maybe like reach out to honestly, probably like try to take an intensive class, uh, find somebody, find a good teacher and, uh, just, just tell them, you know, my situation, like, Hey, I, in a month, uh, I need Spanish now. Uh, I don't, I don't have any Spanish background. Try to find a teacher and just work with them and, um, maybe watch some shows. And, and I, I remember watching one uh, that was, it was like a YouTube program. It had like three or four episodes uh, and it was geared toward uh, beginners. Uh, I think it was like produced in Spain or something like that. It, you know, it was like a little sitcom. It was kind of like mm -hmm. friends for, uh, for language learners. And, and that was pretty good. I'd probably like try to find more of those types of programs. Um, yeah. Cause you, what you need is like you need to listen to how people are speaking it uh, mm -hmm. naturally and uh, how they're having conversations and like what they say, uh, yeah. you know, when they greet their friends and when they walk into a coffee shop. Like you need that you need that pragmatic feel for the language. And, and unfortunately, you're not going to really get that with apps like Duolingo. Yeah, because there it's just an isolated word or a phrase. But right. like you said, um, I, I, it is, I think, sometimes the leveled, I think you're referring to a show, I'm not sure which one, but it sounds like you're saying that it was kind of an easier level. It was made for people who are learning. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. And I remember it was like the the protagonist was this American student who was uh, studying abroad. It was like his first semester studying abroad in Spain. And he's been placed in this apartment with like two, uh, uh, two Spaniards. Um, and so he goes in and like he, you know, he's a language learner. And so like, he's kind of a beginner intermediate. And, you know, he has this very gringo accent. And, uh, you know, he's making a lot of mistakes. Uh, but they kind of turn it into a comedy. Like every time he has like a little mistake, like the, the Spaniards are kind of like, huh? And then the second time they're like, oh, let me help you. And then like, you know, they give you like, it's kind of a, it's a comedic, like unique, um, fun way to like learn Spanish, like by watching somebody else make the mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then you, you're kind of like, oh, okay, like I'm going to try not to make the mistake that, that he did. I don't know. It was, it was kind of a novel idea. Kind of just trying to maybe strategically let you learn by showing you, kind of living it 
It sounds really cool. And you use that word pragmatic a couple of times, maybe for someone who's not a language teacher. What, what do you mean by learning pragmatic things? Okay, so pragmatics is kind of like the social script that we all know intuitively. Uh, just because you grew up like, you know, speaking your native language and like you, you just know what to say in the right uh, situations. Like, for example, um, you wouldn't, uh, like, let's say one of your on a long trip, like maybe they're going to go study abroad for a semester or a year and you're not going to see them for a really long time. You pragmatically, here's what you say. You say to your friend, um, I'm going to miss you. Have a great trip. Uh, be safe. That's pragmatically what you say. It would be really strange to say something like, like, uh, your bravery in this endeavor inspires me. Uh, like, if you said that, they would understand, but that's just not what you say when someone's leaving on a trip. What you say is, be safe, have a great trip. Uh, I can't wait to see you when you get back. That, that, yeah. that is pragmatically what you say. Um, in in so, that time and place. Exactly, yeah. So it's these little scripts that you, that you learn along the way. Um, and, and really, it's hard to learn pragmatics without, without living in a place where the target language is, is spoken all the time. You, you have to know that context and you have to live in that setting to really get that pragmatic knowledge. It's different one than what's in a textbook. Absolutely. Oh, and here's another example uh, of pragmatic, kind of a funny example. Um, it, the thing is, you can be a pretty advanced language speaker. Like you can, you can be fluent in a in a second language, but still not have all the pragmatics. Uh, like for example, I would say my wife is uh, is more fluent in English than I am in Spanish. Like I, I would say her level is actually a little higher than mine. Um, very very fluent uh, uh, English speaker. But when we were in the states visiting my family. Uh, last summer we went to taco bell and uh my wife she she orders um some tacos and she wants some hot sauce but she doesn't want it on she doesn't want them to put it directly on the tacos she wants it on the side so she can dip her tacos into it uh, and pragmatically what we say in the states in that situation is um hey could you could you give me some hot sauce but can you put it on the side can I get some hot sauce on the side? On the like side. that's that's pragmatically what you say. But she didn't say that. She said, uh, "Could I have some? Could I have some uh, some hot sauce apart?" Because in Spanish, what you say is uh, "la salsa aparte, por favor." Uh, Quiero la salsa picante aparte. And uh, and she, so she just kind of directly translates it. Use uses her Spanish pragmatics. And the and the cashier uh, struggled. The cashier didn't know what she was saying. She was like, "So wait, you want?" she was like you want some hot sauce and uh and my wife's like yeah yeah but please like like not on the taco like i want it apart and uh in the end the cashier ends up ringing her up for uh for extra hot sauce when it, <laughs> when you know really all you have to do is like walk over to the counter and like grab some packets of hot sauce yeah and you know your, your problem solved yeah, it's it's pragmatics, man. They'll, they'll save you money. They'll save you. They'll save you embarrassment. Save uh, you time and money, yeah, and <laughs> let you fit in the culture and not have to pay for extra salsa. Exactly. That's funny.
Yeah, and each culture, you know, has different things that it's really hard to know if you don't live there. And and working with the Chinese students and their kind of, there are certain things you do in certain situations. Maybe it's important to have the correct answer to save face, to keep the group harmonious. But Americans might, you know, have other pragmatic, you know, where it's okay to disagree publicly with a boss because you're trying to have a good idea but for them pragmatically that's like hugely disrespectful yeah yeah like yeah how you say and what you say i think you know germans french americans mexicans colombians like and even even inside there's the culture just all in the context pragmatics is a really interesting word i'm glad you you brought that up speaking of pragmatics uh, pragmatically you're a language teacher and pragmatically, you've been dealing with teaching online in these last months. I know you teach at the university level. I'm just curious what it has been like teaching online these months. You know, I, I gotta say, I'm not a huge fan of online teaching, but I've adapted. We, we've all had to adapt, or all of us teachers, we're all teaching online now. Um, it's so there's there's a lot of challenges that I've noticed. Number one is you're kind of limited in the activities that you can do. Uh, I like to to use a lot of kinesthetic activities in my classes. Uh, in other words, I like to get students out of their seats. I like to um, to get them moving. You know, doing activities like a um, like a running dictation. Okay, that's great. No, hit, uh, if anyone is a teacher out there, they're going to love hearing this. Like. What, um, what can you do? Because active learning, uh, Dr. Douglas Benson uh, was one of my inspirations and he had a lot of work for active, uh, he shared a lot of work about active learning, movement activities in class, going, mo- getting people moving in the classroom. But how do you mm-hmm. do that virtually? I don't know. Uh, one idea that I, I haven't done myself but I know teachers do it is having like a virtual tour so, for example, you could ask your students to prepare a tour for the rest of the class of their home or their their backyard or their patio. And so when you're in class, you say, OK, um, uh, you know, Jesse, it's, it's your turn to lead us uh, in your virtual tour. And then, you know, Jesse takes the takes the phone, takes the mm-hmm. camera and says, OK, well, this is my room now. You know, here's my kitchen patio you know here's my little dog let me introduce you to my dog mm-hmm. um so i that that's one way i guess you could get people up and moving around but uh but yeah it's a challenge you're you're very limited because you um you don't have that physical classroom you don't have that physical space anymore yeah so. and even and even with that it's a great idea because it's it's really the epitome of active learning you just have someone giving a tour like talking and walking with the phone open as a language teacher you know that's not repeating out of a book they're walking through their your their life's narrating so that's like really good learning english but i but i also know that teachers are very critical and will immediately say, well, what about the kids who have a poor situation at home? You, exactly. have, rich, you have rich kids and you have poor kids. So I'm curious. Yeah, it's, it's tricky situation. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're right, Kevin. Um, in Colombia, there's a pretty, pretty big class divide 
you know, some people have money, some people have a lot of money. And then uh, there's people that just live in like poverty, essentially. Um, And you you have both of those kind of students in your classes. I, I have both in my university classes. And yeah, it raises some ethical questions, doesn't it? Like, you know, do you require all of your students to turn on their cameras? What if one person like lives in a small house with like 10 other family members and they're mm-hmm. making noise the entire time because that's where they live and they don't, they don't have any other place to go versus the, you know, the, the well-off student who's got their own room and it's quiet. And, you know, their own computer. Yeah, they have an air conditioning unit so you don't hear the fan in the background. Like, yeah. you know, it's just, it really brings some of those some of they those have, differences they have high speed it's, internet they can share because sometimes they have for m- sure multiple kids on you know they're supposed to have three classes at the same time yeah yeah it, yeah it, i don't know man I, I i wish i could i could give uh you know some some solid answers and recommendations to other teachers out there but the, the reality is i'm searching for the answers myself these days and uh, I, don't, I haven't found a lot of the answers it's it just I, it's so fast how it went there you know it's the same question yeah. as always in teaching it's really really hard to be uh on the ground as a teacher and not see you know uh social issues and specifically like income gap challenges because even if some people are in a good school or a bad school you know different schools some schools you don't see it as much but if you're a teacher eventually you're gonna see like oh okay if you're poor it's very different experience than if you're rich yeah and like whether that's online or in present it's no different so it's like one of one of the big challenges of teaching is not is always going to be making sure that everyone has access to the education yeah Yeah. one thing i did one thing i did at the start of this semester was um you know, I, I, the first day, I always kind of go over uh, some class values. We, we spend a couple minutes. I tell them, you know, some things that uh, I really care about. I, you know, I, I kind of have like a five, five point uh, value system that if we, if we hold these values, you know, together, then, you know, we'll probably have a successful class. But I also give them time to, to talk about what they want to see in class and the values that they want to uh, uphold. And uh, we talked about the pandemic and uh and how this is affecting everyone's lives during that part of the lesson and we decided to um so what one of my five tenets i guess is respect you know not just respect for me as a teacher but also respect for your uh your classmates uh, but we kind of added to it this time we said you know we, we need to respect this situation we need to respect the pandemic because this is uh this is having a toll this is taking a toll on all of us and some of us are handling it better than others uh but we all have bad days during this we all miss our friends we all uh have anxiety sometimes um some of us are dealing with uh yeah, yeah wage gap struggles like there's only one computer to go around for uh, a bunch of people in the family. Uh, there's, there, you know, some people live in poor neighborhoods that tend to be noisy. It's just, yeah, we, we need to respect the situation and we need to be supportive of everyone because uh, it's, it's, it's not good.
for any of us, and certainly for some of us, they're going to feel it more than others. So that, that was a value that we all decided that we needed to share. I think that's a great takeaway for teachers. Um, the, the, you, what you're doing of talking to the class at the beginning of the class about values um, to kind of guide the class. I think that's really cool. I think teachers could, that's a good takeaway because any class, whether it's online or not online, it's good to have those guiding principles because maybe there's a moment in the semester where, you know, something has to change. But as long as there's those values, I think that's a great way to guide a course and also to hear them. Hey, what do you want to hear? Get out of this class. I, I thought those were good takeaways for teachers. If there's a teacher listening, I'm sure there is. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. What are the what are the five rules? Could you do you know those offhand? Um, I guess you yeah. Could. yeah. Yeah. What are the five? Um, yeah, the first one is a positive attitude. You know, bring a positive attitude to every class. Uh, second one is uh, English only. Um, now these these are intermediate to advanced classes. If it were a beginner class, I, I wouldn't require them to. I, I'm actually not like a staunch uh, like oh you you always have to be using the target language. Um, but for advanced classes, yeah, English only. Yeah. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, number three is respect. Number four is share your ideas. You know, bring bring some things outside of class that you find interesting and share it with us and then uh number five is challenge yourself to improve and that looks differently for everybody um i'm trying to to get them to set some personal goals uh and then do whatever it takes to push themselves to to meet those goals i think that's great get out of your comfort zone a little bit yeah absolutely well I, i'm curious uh, don't mean uh I, I think yeah online there's so much to talk about obviously we could talk about online learning all day, but I'm I'm also really we got a couple of good takeaways for teachers. That's for sure. I was hoping for some gold nuggets, and you provided, Trey. You're the man. Sweet. <laughs> always Glad good. To hear good it. Yeah, I think good stuff. But all, in, in in case there are uh, teachers, another question would be um, about the research you're doing with Kathleen. Speaking of online, like opportunities for learning, um, what's the research you're doing? Uh, how did you come up with the question, and uh, what were the results? Yeah, we, so I, I worked with my boss on a research project that involved Twitter and reflection. Um, you know, I, I've been toying around with Twitter in language learning and in the classroom for several years now, trying mm -hmm. different techniques. And one, one use of Twitter that I, that I found to be particularly helpful was getting students to write little reflections on Twitter uh, because it's nice and short snapshot of what they're what they're thinking and the challenges they're facing and how they're trying to meet their goals and um what they're appreciating from class like but it, it, it's short you know you're not reading like a, a whole reflective essay or even like a, a reflective paragraph it's just a nice little reflective snippet mm -hmm. and it's great feedback for you as a teacher to kind of see like okay what, what do i need to be doing uh, in terms of focusing the class and helping students meet their goals. Um, so I, I wanted to test this hypothesis uh, that I had, which was I, I wanted to see if students who tweet frequently and tweet deeply would actually do better in their language learning. So I got Kathleen, my boss on board, and we designed 
this study where we were gonna link students' tweets to their exam scores to see if there was a correlation. So you're talking about live tweeting, right? Like someone, not like a tweet in class on a, on a class forum. You mean tweeting on Twitter on a live public tweet? Yeah, maybe not exactly live tweeting. I think live tweeting is kind of like when you're at a conference, like a presenter's speaking oh, and oh. like you, uh, mm. you, uh, you tweet like while they're giving their talk or whatever. But uh, what I would do is, um, is that like at the end of class, I would say, all right, guys, um, you know, reflect on class today. What, what were some things that were challenging? Uh, what are some things you want to keep working at? Uh, how, how are you planning to achieve your goals? What was something, you know, that inspired you? And I, I mixed it up. Sometimes I gave them a lot of questions. Sometimes I didn't give them anything. I, I just said, okay, write, your, uh, write your, your reflection today on Twitter. Send it to me. Use the hashtag. And then later I would, I would read and, you know, maybe respond to a couple. Um, sometimes the students would respond to each other. Um, how, how many, what percentage of the students typically respond at the end of a class? About half. Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, at the end of the study, we, so we did this for like three semesters. We collected three semesters worth of data. So we had like over a hundred student respondents in, the, in our study. And, uh, and what we found is that there, there is a correlation between students who tweet deeply, so the depth of reflection, and their exam scores. So in other words, students who tweeted deeply about their learning process tended to score higher on their exams. How did you quantify deeply? Are there certain uh, like there's, words? There's a, uh, yeah, good question. There, there's a, a rubric that was designed by, oh man, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Man, I'm gonna have to. Uh, Don't worry, we can. I can look it up. But the, a rubric is something. Yeah, there's there's a rubric. There's a rubric that was designed by a team of researchers, and I'm so sorry that the names uh, slipped <laughs> me. But basically, they they have four levels in their rubric. Uh, level one is like, um, it's not even reflection. It, uh, you're just kind of repeating. You're regurgitating uh, information from the class and you're not mm -hmm. even doing it in your own words. It's just like a literal regurgitation of yeah. information. Stage two is um, understanding. So you're taking the information and you're putting it into your own words, but you don't actually make a personal connection with it. Uh, stage three is uh, personal application or personal connection. So you're taking something you, you did in class and you're applying it to your life. You're examining it through you know, your, uh, your perspective, your lens, uh, and then stage four, which is the highest, that's critical reflection. And, uh, and what that is, is class changed your perspective. It, it, it made you identify uh, maybe a bias that you had, and then it gave you, it gave you a new way to look at a topic, uh, uh, a change of perspective, a changing of the mind. Uh, and that's pretty rare, actually, like, like you, you don't, and researchers will tell you, you know, like you really shouldn't expect that to happen very often. I was going to say, Certain, it'd be pretty cool if it did, like every class is life changing. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but that, that's, that's pretty, pretty rare. Um, but what we did, yeah, we said, okay, anything three or four, we're just going to call that deep, uh, deep reflection. And, and really we, we, we aim more for, for, 
uh, level three, you know, let, let's yeah. just see and if we can get students connecting what they're learning to their life and their goals and how they can apply this uh, to their to their professional lives once they graduate. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, that's what we found, like getting those, those level three, level four uh, reflections, they tended to score better on their exams. Mm. And do you think that's because of the reflection or because of the application of material to their life? What are kind of your thoughts? Yeah, good question. We don't know. Uh, obviously, correlation doesn't mean causation. Um, yeah. But, but, but there, there is, um, you know, student reflection is, has been proven to be a metacognitive strategy in language learning. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a way for you to manage your language learning. It's a way for you to set goals and, and lay out a plan to achieve them. Um, so maybe, you know, the answer to your question lies in that goal setting. Um, people who, who reflect, they just, they have a better sense of what it's gonna take to perform well in the class and learn the language. So maybe that's why they're getting these higher scores because they're, they're just better at managing their expectations and better at managing their, um, their plan and what it takes to, to study hard and, and do well on an exam. Um, that's my best guess. Yeah, probably tie in there somewhere, but it's like really hard to measure motivation and measure some of the autonomy, you know, reflection. Yeah, exactly. But it, yeah, it's, it's, but it's it definitely works. Yeah, definitely works. Right, and, yeah. yeah. And cool that it's Twitter, because it's kind of fun. And I think, um, interesting that's Twitter. I'm gonna think, uh, think about that, but that's another great gold nugget for teachers, really. Well, speaking of, I just have one question now, maybe to change it up to learning a language. So that's really teachery, which I mm -hmm. love, but the world is talking a lot about learning languages, you know, in the public way, there's Rosetta Stones, there's apps, people are getting, there's these, like, I think Columbia social media is taken over by just like two or three people of like learning, oh, learning English fast and easy and all this stuff. Yeah. But I'm curious, like from someone who has so much experience learning a language and teaching a language at all these different levels, if someone were serious about wanting to be bilingual and were to, you know, take some steps towards learning a new language, um, what's the best way to learn a language? Like, what would you do? How would you start? How would you approach learning a language? Best way to learn is... Uh, to you got to practice you got to practice a lot and for a very long time uh yeah like you said everyone wants to learn a language and they want to do it as fast as possible and they they want to do it as painless as as possible um but sadly that's just not a realistic expectation uh language learning is hard long process and, and you got to commit um uh, you got to practice it language is memory it's uh it's memory and practice like and you put those together and and that's what it takes to to learn so i i would say try to find friends who speak the language that you want to learn and and just talk to them hang out with them a lot uh 
get get into a class uh, language language apps are great and we've already discussed this before you know you can learn some basic vocabulary basic grammar with duolingo but that's it uh you need if, if you're really gonna like learn how to like read and understand a chapter in a book or like you know watch a watch a video and like really understand what the characters uh in in the video are saying you need to take a class. You need to have a good teacher uh, that that gets you that gets you ready for uh, those kind of uh, texts and kind of uh, speaking and listening uh, events. Um, yeah, you, you gotta you gotta get in classes. You gotta you gotta get some friends that speak the language. You gotta be around the language so a like lot. Take a class with like a trained teacher to have that structured yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. The the app is good to maybe to help learn the basic words, but it's not going to be enough. But it could be a good side gig, and you should find something social and hang out with people and practice it as much as possible. Yep. Yep. That's yeah. it. Uh, I know. And yeah, I know a lot of people like. Uh, yeah, they're kind of anti-classes like they they want the uh they want the instant pill and they think you know these language apps are going to give it to them um you'll be fluent I, in I, three months trey that's a myth man that's yeah don't don't ever ever believe that uh you, and probably if someone says that their app is probably not worth it uh you'll be fluent in three months I'm, I'm always trying to compare it to learning the piano or learning to play tennis and i think both would be the same like it'd be good to get um you like structured lessons from a piano teacher or a tennis coach someone that has experience of training lots of folks knows yes. the problems yeah. knows knows the different types of learners and can kind of pick you out and be like okay your problem is you just need to be patient and do the drills. I know you just want to play around, but you need to do the drills. And for other people that are do the drills, they're like, okay, now you're, you're comfortable doing the drills, but you need to, you know, take some risks depending on the type of learner. And, yes. and I, I'm sure it would help to hang out in a piano playing group on the weekends where you have a barbecue and like play instruments or, um, or, uh, you know, hang out with tennis friends. It's, it yes. seems, seems to kind of apply for anything you're, you know, learning, you would want to have a good teacher, uh, social, and maybe some individual practice. Hey, how do you know a good teacher? How do you find, what's a good teacher to you? If you're, if you're looking to learn a language and you're going to learn, what languages do you want to learn, by the way? And how would you pick a good teacher? Uh, if you had to start see. over, like, you know, like, yeah. Uh, how would I, uh, I would look for you want to look for somebody who's gonna talk to you in that target language um, you want to look for somebody who who's gonna challenge you and like like get you to speak even though you're not really ready for it and you feel intimidated and embarrassed um, you, you want to look for somebody who's gonna push you and like who's not afraid to make you a little bit uncomfortable because that, that that's the only way you're gonna learn is, is by just speaking um, you want to look look for somebody who's empathetic. You 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 know that they understand the difficulties of learning a language, uh, and that they they feel your embarrassment. They they feel uh, your struggle. Um, you want someone who who's got uh, energy and passion, and and who smiles, and who who likes what they do. Uh, and who's creative and, and you can see that like in the in the diversity of their activities and you know the gains that they do and 
and you know the readings and the videos they select for you like these are things that they they enjoy the topics are things that they enjoy talking mm -hmm. about and getting into and uh, uh i i think from all of those characteristics you can kind of you you begin to realize yeah this is somebody that that that's going to lead me uh to where i want to go they're they're going to get me to to my destination yeah, I definitely. I, I was gonna say, I hey, can I, all those things. Mm -hmm. Can I go back to what you were saying about the, uh, like the tennis coach or the like the piano teacher? Because sure. you hit on, you, you made me realize something uh, that's really important, and that's the concept of feedback. Like you, you were saying, like if you if you have a tennis coach, and you're out there on the tennis court and you're hitting, um, they're gonna see immediately what your flaws are, what your mistakes are, and they're yeah. gonna and it's they're gonna, gonna be take like action. <laughs> Uh, to, to correct it. And, and that's, and that's what a good language teacher does. Uh, they, they give you feedback. They, they, they see what your mistakes are and they, they, they help you. No, it's, it's, it's not like this. It, it, you know, say it like this or, okay, that's that. I hear what you're saying. I think I understand what you're trying to communicate. Let me help you. Let me, let me give you a good phrase that you can use here in this situation. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's just like a tennis coach that they, they, they see your mistakes and they give you feedback. And that's what you don't get with, with apps. There is zero feedback on, on those apps. You, you are not going to get that uh, from, from your apps. You, you got to get a teacher. You got you to gotta get into a class. Yeah. And, and to know what to correct. Because, like, if you really are bad with sports, never played tennis in your life, and you go play tennis, it's like everything sucks. Like, you completely are messing up everything. So it's like knowing what things to correct and what things to let slide yeah and yeah. so if you're if you're really just really grilling and being critical on every single mistake then they won't be able to serve at all so it's kind of like just you know knowing what to correct when yeah there's yeah. a lot of failure i think this is another oh, thing for sure yeah so and coaches build failure. you up coaches coaches they encourage you they they, they motivate they, they see when you're when you're feeling down and, and you're getting down on yourself and, and they come alongside you and uh and build you back up and, and give you the energy to to get back out there and try again and i think a good teacher does that too well, I'm glad I'm talking to you because you got me motivated to help my students again because I'll admit it, you know, after like thousands of virtual classes, you know, just hundreds, <laughs> just day in and day out. Sometimes it can be a drag, but you, no, uh, I, you've, I left, you. you've left me feeling like, yeah, my job is to motivate, so I got to stay motivated. So you've got me amped up to, you know, do my job, which is to be positive and help people keep growing because if I'm tired of you know teaching over and over you know it's it's not yeah. good it's not good energy we got to like keep ourselves healthy and keep, keep yeah you're right we, we teachers we, we have to motivate each other uh we we need motivation too yeah hey well where can people find you on twitter you mentioned twitter i think that's a good place to find you Just yeah my case. twitter handle is uh uh prof trey prof cool. trey that's p r f P-R-O-F-T-R-E-Y. Yeah. Uh, hit I'm me sure, up. I'm sure it's uh, cool for people. Yeah, if they have questions or want to say what's up or say yeah. thanks for the inspiration, yeah, they can find you on Twitter. Absolutely. Uh, hey, yeah, uh, I'd be happy to chat. Yeah, I'll let you go for now. Thanks for chatting. And, uh, yeah, thanks again for chatting. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's nice to catch up. We got to – teachers got to keep uh, – teachers and language learners, we got to – 
keep it together. I agree. Hey, and good luck with the, with Chinese, man. That's a, that's a really serious endeavor. Um, but I, uh, I know you have all the tools to, to do it. So good luck, man. Yeah. See us here. <laughs> I'll try my best and I'll sound like a fool probably, but that's part of the gig. You know, you just got to go that's for it. it. Be silly and just try to go, try to go for it. You're right. Hey, well, I'll catch you later. Zai Tian. <laughs> <laughs> See you, man. Ciao. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.